Hey guys, welcome back to Finding Strength. I'm your host, Matt Quackenbush. Glad to be here. Glad you guys are listening. Thanks for all the support. We've had a ton of support. Cannot thank you all enough. We've had people reach out. We've had people connect through us to us through Facebook. It's been an incredible response, and we're excited to keep bringing this to you every week. So keep letting us know what you guys want to hear. We're just we're really stoked on how successful this is becoming. This week is no different. Um, we're going to bring you something genuinely different and emotional and incredible. We've got Special Agent Sete Aulai, who works for the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force in the Attorney General's office. Sete catches the bad guys, the real bad guys, the ones that are going after our kids. He gets pretty vulnerable in this one, and he talks about what he does for work, and it gets kind of graphic. So if you have kids in the car, uh, you might want to be mindful of whether they can hear this one or not. On that note, here it is, episode three of Finding Strength. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Finding Strength podcast, episode number three, with Special Agent Sete Aulai. Glad to have him here. Bethany over there dropping drinks on the ground. We got all sorts of fun stuff going on here today, guys. Hopefully everybody was able to hear our last two episodes. It was a great time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hope you all loved last week with Amy. She was awesome. Learned a lot. And if nothing else, maybe you all found a therapist <laughs> after that one was over. Awesome. We are so excited to have Sete here today. Sete is what oh, special agent Sete, right? I mean, that's kind of like what we call you, yeah, more or less. I don't know. What's, just, what's, call, just call me Sete. Just, just Sete, he says. But re, okay, Sete is here. Sete, we. So Sete and I have been friends for a long time. We've we work out together. He and Bethany and I have go to the gym together all the time. Sete deadlifts a house. I don't know if you guys could see this man. He is a monster of a human being in size and stature. And his heart is huge. One of the biggest hearts I've ever encountered in my entire life. And that's why he does what he does. And I'm going to give him some space to kind of talk about what he does more or less. But the big thing of why I felt like it would be good for you to come on the podcast is because people need to hear the story that you have, your story, what you do, why you do it, and the message that you want to send to the world. Sure. So just like I said, before we start, you know, we're not trying to be too lofty in our ideals here, <laughs> I hope. But. Um, I was going to say too, aside from the fact that Sete lifts everything, <laughs> it's if you ever see Sete at the gym, you the sweetest, kindest person. Like, it's like this big, strong guy, then he's like always hugging and being awesome and just <laughs> looks so happy. So I feel like... Sometimes it's hard to see someone and you think, oh, they're, they're so happy. Gosh, they must have the best job. <laughs> like, right? everything is going great for them. And so I think it's sometimes good for other people to realize that you're going through some things, you know, in your job or in your life or in your day. It doesn't mean you carry it into every other aspect of your life, right? I don't. No. No, I don't. So, Sete, just tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Like, what... What do you do? Why are you here? What's going on with your life? The floor is yours, my friend. Take right. it away. You, you take this wherever you want to go. We'll steer you in the right direction, but 
right. All right. What's going on? Well, I, I just don't want to ruin your guys' podcast. And after <laughs> the episode with me, like, people are going to stop listening because of me. <laughs> I'm really quite the opposite. <laughs> um, but, I, again, I appreciate uh, you, Matt, and Bethany for having me on. Um, so I, I am a cop. Um, I began my law enforcement career uh, going on almost nine years ago, so just shy of 10 years. Um, I started with the West Valley City Police Department. Uh, uh, it was awesome. I enjoyed my time there. Um, spent uh, three years on the road in uniform. And then from there, I, uh, I joined uh, the SWAT team, which is, I mean, every young cop's dream is to be <laughs> on the SWAT team. And I, I loved being on, on the SWAT team with, uh, with my brothers at West Valley. From there, I, I transferred uh, to become a school resource officer for Hunter High School. It's, uh, th- there's two high schools in West Valley City, Granger and Hunter. Um, had a great time there. I spent a year there. And then from there, I transferred over to the investigations unit in the special victims unit. Uh, and that led to me becoming a task force member. A task force, uh, if you guys don't know, it's a collaborative uh, team of that, uh, that has federal agents, state agents, um, and local uh, police officers a part of it. So all these guys come together to put, a, to, to put together this task force. And quick question. Quick question. <clears throat> you said special victims unit. The only thing I, when I think of special victims unit, I think of law and order SVU. <laughs> so, okay. Special victims unit, break that down. What, so what was your kind of job role going into being on the SVU? Yeah. So I investigated, uh, pretty much anything sex abuse, sex crime related, uh, uh, pertaining to adults and kids. My specific assignment, because we had a, a unit of eight to nine guys, I, I, if I remember correctly, um, I was more on the, the children end of it. So I, I focused solely on sex abuse with, with kids um, um, and, and also uh, child abuse as well. So um, I hope that answered your question, what, I, yeah. what so the unit is. My question is of that, how did they convince you to do that? <laughs> like what was the, cause any parent, any adult that's like, oh, I don't know if I can handle this. What was in your mind when you said, oh, I want, I want to do this, this, was there something that's changed, something that drove you, something that made you feel like I need to do this. I need to, this needs to be where I, where I can do the most work that's or a, do the most good. That's a, that's actually a great question because you ask any perspective cop, any cadet. Uh, that that's out there right now. A good portion of them are not going to say, "Hey, I want to go be a sex cop." <laughs> For the most part, these guys, a lot of us, and I was one of them. I wanna, I, I wanted to be on the gang uh, unit, or I wanted to work uh, the the uh, narcotics unit. Yeah, I was gonna say drugs. Drugs. That seems- that's that's pretty common, mm-hmm. and 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 I can and I can testify that I was one of those guys that I wanted to be part of that. But it's interesting the the course that you take in in, in any career. But in my career, uh, it's interesting how it led how I got um, into working sex crimes, and it all started with my um, involvement at Hunter High School. Um, uh, working over there, I I actually took a lot of sex crime related cases, and so and I I actually became 
um, okay at investigating them. And so from, from there, um, I was offered um, uh, uh, the position to come over to the Special Victims Unit to, um, to, to, to investigate these kinds of crimes full-time instead of being like the part-time guy at the school cop mm -hmm. um, investigating that. So that's, that's kind of how I got into it. Is that where you saw, I guess, even... Was that the first time maybe you saw a need? Was that Hunter High School? No, no. I saw it on the road in uniform. So you've seen it yeah. for a long time. I, I saw it for a long time. But it wasn't... It wasn't... When I was in uniform, it wasn't something that came to mind. Like, oh, I want to go be a part of that unit. Mm -hmm. It just it just happened when I when I was at Hunter High School. I, um, I recognized uh, the, the need... Uh, for 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 that kind, or I I, rec I recognize the importance of investing in those kinds of mm -hmm. crimes, and so I I I kind of took it to heart, and um, I I really became, uh, and I don't think the students remember or know, but I I kind of I got to know them, and I and I invested my efforts, my uh, my time into trying to solve. Uh, whatever case that involved them, whether it was true or not, if if it was a, a bogus case, well, I proved that it was a bogus case. Mm -hmm. uh, so That's I, I yeah, yeah. So like, my my question is like, for me, I I went into doing therapy because I have this like really deep personal connection to it because of how I grew up, stuff I went through, my childhood, my life as a teenager drugs, alcohol, craziness, right? And so that's what drew me to working with kids as, a, as an adult, right? Because I, I related to these kids because I saw their lives and compared that with my own life as a kid. And so I was able to relate to these kids really well. Is that similar to your story? Very, like, very, like why you did what you do? Very similar. Um, again, I, I keep going back to Hunter High, but West yeah. Valley reminds me of home. Yeah. It reminded me of... of where I come from. I'm, I'm originally from Los Angeles, uh, Carson, California, and I love where I'm from. Working for a city like West Valley, it reminded me of, of LA. Hunter High School reminded me of my high school. Uh, a lot of the kids there, uh, kind of the similar situations that I grew up in. So when um, you say similar situations, what are you talking about? Like what's, what's similar with your high school situation in West Valley? Because there's many people that are listening that are like, West Valley, what the heck is that? So West Valley, it's uh, it's it's um, a, a ton of different cultures there. Um, heavily gang related, or gangs are there. Mm -hmm. um, drugs are there, alcohol's there, um, of course, um, and that's how it is in Carson, uh, where I where I grew up. It it, it was kind of similar to to uh, to, uh, to to L.A. So you kind of saw these kids and you related to them because not only you grew up in a similar situation like that. Is there like this personal connection? Like, did you need that as a kid? Did you want to be something for those kids that you didn't have or you did have? Yeah, of course. I didn't know who my school cop was in high school. <laughs> I had no idea who the guy was. I yeah. think I, I think I, if I think about it, I saw him maybe once or twice. Um, but that that was that was kind of what I wanted these kids to know. Like, hey, there's a cop here. I'm not. I, I don't want to make you seem like I'm the guy that always is going to bring the hammer down on you. Come talk to me, which it happened. Hmm. It happened. I, I, I did kind of create that open door sort of policy that these kids felt, I hope that these kids felt comfortable to come talk with me. 
um, not not just to report a crime, but just to come in and say, hey, what's up? How you doing? How's the day been? Kind of create a, an atmosphere like that. And I, I hope like that. Like a bond. So yeah. then that way when something real does happen, you know that they, they have that They're going to feel you. comfortable yeah. with no doubt that they'll come and talk with me. Yeah. So then you leave Hunter High and you get into SBU doing child sex crimes. Why? I mean... Were you compelled to do that? Do you have personal history with that? Like, what was it about you that drew you to that particular thing? Because I know you wanted to do narcotics, like you said, but why sex crimes? So I, I had a, um, I, I uh, became good at, at investigating sex crimes. Like I said, I, I kind of invested myself in, in, in with these kids. I. Uh, that, that there's actually uh, this model that uh, that West Valley put out is start by believing, mm-hmm. and I believed every every kid that came to me about a crime. Like I said before, if it was bogus, I was going to prove that it was bogus. But if it wasn't, I was going to do everything I could to try to get justice for that kid. My mom was sexually abused as a kid, and I, gosh, this is the first time I'm sharing. I'm sharing this literally the first time I'm sharing this. My mom was sexually abused when she was younger. I'm not I won't go into detail about it, but that always stuck that always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And when when I was kind of geared or led to working special victims, my mom always always was in in the back of my mind. If I was if I was going to investigate these cases, um these sex crime related cases, I was going to do as good of a job that I wanted that detective to do for my mom if it was ever reported. That's what I wanted. Because it's your way, it's like your way to protect your mom. It's my way to protect my mom. And I am very much a mama's boy. I love my mom. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, that was the, the starting engine for me um, in, in, or, or, and still in, in, in investigating these kinds of crimes. And I know now a lot of what you do, I'm sure she's in the back of your mind constantly, not sure. necessarily that you're, it's your mom, but that you want to be there for these kids because you have this personal connection to it. It goes deeper than just wanting to make the world a better place. It's because you were personally affected by something. Mm-hmm. And that personal thing that you have within you, that we all have within us, can be our greatest motivator to go out into the world and make a difference and to change things. And you were able to tap into that. And as you tap into that, that's what makes you good at your job. You say, I'm sure you, you were really good at investigating these things. It's obvious why, right? You have that personal connection to it. That personal connection is the thing that makes us great. Right. It makes us bigger than we are as human beings. It gives us meaning. It gives us purpose. That's freaking and, and, cool, and, man. And it's my driving, it's the drive the driver for me and, and remembering my purpose behind it. When I when a case is just stale or uh, there I'm getting tons and tons of cases like this, I go back and remember, why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? And and oftentimes when I was at West Valley, I thought about my mom. I'm I'm gonna investigate this case because the, if if someone was gonna investigate my mom, my mom's case. I would want that detective to give full effort just like I do. I have a question for you. Yeah. Knowing your family and knowing you've got a little boy and a little girl, how has that changed the way you do things and the way you investigate? And has it changed how, what you can handle as far as what you're seeing? Um, so leading into that, now, now 
Um, I, I, I've left West Valley. I'm no longer with them. And because of the task force that I was a part of, Internet Crimes Against Children, ICAC or ICAC, it has led me to, to, to investigate uh, sexual exploitation of children. To answer your question, it's, it's hard now that I have two babies. Literally, they're babies. And a lot of, a lot of what I see features children their, their ages. I remember my very, not my very first, but I remember one of the, one of the, my early ICAT cases that I investigated, and I, it was a video um, uh, that I watched, and I happened, I happened to have the sound on, and it was, it, it, it featured a baby, a boy about my, my son's age, Tui, um, being, being raped, um, being anally sodomized. Hearing that boy cry got to me, yeah. and I, I had to turn. Obviously, I had to I had to walk away from it just just for a little bit, um, and then come back and and continue on with with uh, with what I was doing. It never goes away. I, I it's it's not that I can automatically turn it off. Yeah. I can't, um, but it's just kind of making. Or um, building distractions, I guess, that can kind of take my mind off of it. But does that? So you said that it that no that sound just you know as far as you know the child and the age and everything was so much the same as your as Tui. So did that almost did it make you want to quit, or did it light a fire under you that said no one's doing this to my kid or anyone else, so I'm going to stop this. I. I'm not a quitter, Bethany. I'm not. I know that. I'm not a quitter. And no, it did not make me quit. When I got into ICAC, uh, the very first time when I got into ICAC, I, I, um, I told myself, um, or or I I kind of developed this mindset of of the purpose of this unit. Um, similar to what I did when I was in special victims, you know, I always remember the stuff with my. I remember that my driving factor was my mom. The purpose of ICAC, Internet Crimes Against Children, is literally to save kids. Literally, it's to save kids, and I will never forget that. No matter how hard the case is, no matter how crappy the the environment is, or the videos that I or images that I look at, I always remember. Why I'm doing it is to save kids. Now I I may not literally see that I'm saving them, but down somewhere down the line I know because I put the guy who's looking at it or who who did it away, um, and so that that's that's why I, I do it because I I always I always remember I I just try to remember why I'm doing it. It's to save kids, always. Okay, that's freaking amazing. <laughs> but so here's my question now is. You're, you have to see these things. You have to see these videos. You have to see, you know, certain things that are going on so you can catch these men or people, sorry. Um, how do you get that out of your head? How do you mentally either flip the switch every day or at least get to a point where you can function and have a happy, because I, I know you, you're a happy-go-lucky, great person. <laughs> how do you do that? Because sometimes I feel like, when you have these images in your head, it's tough to get them out 
or at least to maybe push them to the side? What is it that you do that helps you get past those? I have, I have distractions. I, I'll be honest with you. There, there, there is that sense of flip, flipping the switch. But to be honest, I thought I flipped the switch when I, when I checked off of duty. I don't. I don't think any cop really does. Um, um, but it's, what, what, what do you do in your personal life to kind of help you take your mind off of that? Um, so what are some of your distractions? I work out. Yeah. <laughs> I work out. really heavy weight. Well, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I take a lot of my, my aggression out on that barbell. Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> it's, it helps me to go work out. It, it really does. That, it does something for me. And I know that's not everyone's go-to, but that's, my, that's, that's what works for me. At the, at the AG's office or the Utah Attorney General's office, um, if you are a part of ICAC, you are required to go to therapy. That's hard. <laughs> you ask, especially cops. You try to get a cop to go to therapy, they're going to look at you like, huh? <laughs> you want me to do what? You want me to cry? You want what? me to... Be, what, what, well, why? You, I mean, a lot of people would be... Or you'd ask, well, why, why are they so uh, defensive or, or reluctant to do that? It, and we don't like to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Cops, were, it's a very masculine kind of a career, right? And we're always on top of things. We're... Um, uh, we we carry ourselves in a, in a certain way, but to make us to go make us go do therapy that makes us vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And and the same thing happened to me when I was first told that I was gonna that I had to go with, uh, see a therapist. <laughs> I was like, okay, if you if you want me to. Those guys are a bunch of freaking hacks. Yeah, <laughs> and, and bunch of quacks, those dudes. <laughs> you want me to go see a guy like Quackenbush? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I. I didn't want to do it. I didn't. But I can tell you how helpful it has been to be, uh, to do it. Um, it's, it's a once a month thing. I have to act. I'm actually going tomorrow to see my therapist. Uh, and it's, it helps. It's not that we talk about ICAC, child porn all the time. No, but it, 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 gives, it gives me that opportunity to talk to someone just to talk. It's not necessarily that I, uh, something, someone else aside from Jordy, my wife, yeah. someone else. Um, and, and it provides, it, it just gives me another out. Because if, you, if, you, I mean, if I keep it all in, I mean, it's going to, the balloon effect, right? And it's mm-hmm. going to keep going, keep going, and it's going to blow up, blow up somewhere. But that helps me, working out, uh, going to my therapist. Um, yeah, because th- those things are external. Yeah. So it's like the working out, you push, you push, you sweat, you endorphins, the whole bit. You know, you can beat up on something, whether it's that medicine ball or whatever, mm-hmm. the bike, whatever, you try to break that. I've mm-hmm. seen you. <laughs> or talking to someone. I think sometimes people don't understand the more you, like you said, the more you bottle it up you're ready to blow at some point. It's like the more you can express it, get it out, speak, say it. And I can't imagine, you know, that you can express everything about your job to Jordy. That'd be hard. Like, and I, if I was your wife, that'd be hard to hear. I'd be like, I can only handle so much of what you need to say. Yeah. How does she handle your job? She's as much 
of a special agent ITAC investigator as yes. I am. <laughs> She's cool. just uh, the the the. It's like the a secondary smoker, right? She just whatever the. Um, um, she takes the back part of it. I, I don't know how to explain it, but she handles it very well. Can I give uh, it a shot? Yeah. Because I can relate. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, because what I do for work, right? Like I, I sit down with cops, firefighters. I actually work with a lot of cops and firefighters, as you all know. Yeah. And, and the stories and the things, the images that I deal with on a daily basis, very, very similar, right? Childhood rape molestation, the most horrific stories you can possibly imagine. Um, and those images stick around in my head too. And I come home and I can't tell my wife those things, right? Yet she's there and she's willing to listen to whatever I need to say. Not only willing to listen to whatever I need to say, but she just can give a look or a kind touch or just a gesture that lets me know that I'm not alone in this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's similar for you, but, but just knowing that it's not just me that's doing this, that we're a team together is, is the, that, that gives me great strength as I go back to work and hear the same story over and over. And it's just, you lose hope. I don't know about you, man, but I'm to this point where I'm like so jaded that I'm beginning to lose faith in humanity a little bit. <laughs> it's just like people are freaking so screwed up. Like how can this keep going on in the world? I know I want to do good and I want to help people. And then I see Brindy and she just says, you need to go do what you do because not everybody can do what you do. I don't know what it's like for you with Jordy, but for me, that's my experience. No, Jordy's, Jordy's the same well, not the same exact way, but she's very similar and that she makes me, uh, she, she lets me know that I'm not alone, that she's there for me. And that's great. That's all I want from her is that, that she has my back. And there's no doubt that that woman has my back. There's no doubt. Right. Uh, she, but like I said, she is, as, she takes as much heat, as much responsibility as I do being a wife of a cop. She's great. Uh, she she does a phenomenal job in in, in supporting, in supporting me. You talk about losing faith in humanity. You know, I see a lot of sh- stuff. You can say shit. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> I have I have a potty mouth. I see. I see. You are in good company. <laughs> I see a lot of shit, just about every day. Right. It's not that people call cops to see how we're doing. Right, and it's nope. not often the the matter the the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of negativity that I that I see. There's a lot of just bad things that happen. Some one of the things that this that this job has taught me is to actually look for the good in someone. Is to look for the good in people, because I I'm constantly surrounded by the negative, constantly. I always see it, and so. I don't like to be surrounded by negativity. And so I always try to find the good in every th- situation and everything and everyone. That's what, that's what it's taught me, is to look for the good in people. That's incredible, man. I think if, if we could only take your example to heart and just begin to do that just a little bit more, if that's the only thing we take away from listening to this, being together here, having this experience, I mean... It, to know that you 
do what you do and deal with the people that you deal with. Just the depravity, the most awfulness that humanity can create, you know. Child sex slavery is not something that we think about on a daily basis, yet it goes on all the time. All the time. And you deal with this day in and day out, yet you leave work and you look at people and you find the good in them. Like if you if you and what you do can do that, anybody can do that. Yeah. Any no matter the situation, anyone can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean I I can't I can't put it any better than the way you you said it. I mean, child sex slavery, child sex abuse, pornography, it's here in the great state of Utah. It's here. Um, but it, I'm not saying that it's a Utah problem. It, this is a worldwide mm-hmm. issue. This is a worldwide problem. But yeah, look for the good in people. Take it from someone who sees negativity every minute, every day. Look for the good in people. So another question for you. Being a mom, I have lots of kids, around kids all the time. What are some things that we can do? And I think this was one of the questions or something similar. Um, Because a lot of this is about, you know, awareness and how do we... We're constantly trying to make everybody better. How do we help each other? How do we bring awareness to people so that way we can help with this problem, help diffuse it in any way we can? Because obviously we're not cops and we're not going to see this and we're not going to know everything. How can we help diffuse it on our end just from parents, you know, just children? Diffuse. Just make it so, just all these internet sexual crimes and sexual things. Is there anything we can do to help? Like, I can't go catch someone and I can't take someone to jail and be like, oh, I saw it and I don't want to look up sex crimes. I'm good. (laughs) But I wonder, like, okay, for instance, I have, you know, little teenage girls. And I just think, and granted, you know, you're in with children, but I think of, you know, my 12-year-old as a child. And it's like, we all worry. Like, how, how do we avoid... It from ever being our kids, I guess. Develop a... Be a parent. Develop a, 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 a loving relationship with, with your children. And, and, and such that, like what I tried to do with the students at, at Hunter, that if they feel, I wanted them to feel comfortable to come to me. Make your kids feel comfortable to come to you. I mean, still be a parent, for sure. But... but Create some sort of atmosphere that they are open with you, that they're willing to, to talk with you just about everything. And for you as a parent with, with cell phones and uh, with, your la- with laptops and computers, <clears throat> understand where, where our children are going on the web. Understand, these, understand the apps that they're going to, that they're using. Take their phone and look at what they're what, what's on there. I know that's the scary part. Like, I don't know what I can see. But understand understand the apps that that they're that they're on. Place some settings on there, some parental settings on on their phones. Don't be afraid to be a parent. Don't be afraid to be a parent. Um, the my kids will know that <laughs> that uh, that I'm, I'm I mean I I try to be. Uh, a great dad uh, to them, um, and granted, they're still very young, but I, I want I want them to know that I love them with all my heart. But at the same time, I'm their dad, but I want them to come to me for anything. 
and and just to discuss anything. So I I, I don't know. I I hope. I hope that answered it. Um, I kind of just went on a rant there. <laughs> no, I think that's that's really good. And in working with parents, one of the things that I tell parents because I get this question constantly, like, "What? How do I help my kids? How do I protect my children? How do I keep them safe?" My answer, hundred percent of the time, is you can't. It's impossible. It's an impossible standard that we all want to achieve. You cannot keep your children safe. The illusion that we can actually is more impairing mm. than reality. And the reality is I can't keep them safe, so I need to teach my kids how to be safe and how to keep themselves safe in such a dangerous world. Yeah. I like that. And not only can I teach them how to be safe, but last, like, we, like Amy talked about, right? I need to model how I keep myself safe in the world and be very open and vulnerable with my children about how I do that. What do boundaries look like for me? What are boundaries for you that you want to set with me and practice on me, your parent? What, what can I see? What do you want to let me in on? That is, that's the proving ground. And it starts from a very, very young age because these yeah. kids, they are constantly inundated with information, with images, with... And it hasn't changed since we were kids, right? Like we're all, we're all pretty much the same age. Mm-hmm. When we were kids, it was the same thing. Your, your friends were the greatest danger. And we're not around our kids when they're with their friends. Right. So they have to learn to navigate on their own. And the only way they're going to know how to navigate is if you have that, like you're talking about, man, that close-knit, tight relationship with your children. And so I think, I think to step off the soapbox for a second, but the big thing is human beings are so preoccupied with being safe that they fail to take the risks necessary in order to do so. And as a, as a parent, it's important that we have a long enough leash for our children that we can let them go, experience risk, learn how to be safe themselves, and pull them back in and teach. Mm. I agree. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'll keep going. Questions. We got a bunch of questions <laughs> off of Facebook here. Uh, some of these have a lot to do with kind of the, some, some of the same stuff we've been talking about. Um, let's, are there any of those that you guys feel like you want to answer? Oh, I like this one a lot. Um, when interacting with people with such traumatic stories, what makes you smile after hearing their stories and how do you twist it into a positive? Do you know this? Lindsay. Lindsay Noilani Tuyofu. Yeah. Do you know Lindsay Noilani Tuyofu? I, I don't know Lindsay, but hi, Lindsay. <laughs> oh, you do. I know Lindsay. Oh, I'm sorry. What was the okay, question? When interacting with people with such traumatic stories, what makes you smile after hearing their stories and how do you twist it into a positive? We kind of touched on this already, but is there anything else you feel like adding? What makes me happy about that <laughs> yeah. is actually hearing their stories. Is that they're telling it to me, yeah. that, they're, that they've survived, and that they're strong enough to, to talk about it. Yeah. I have another one for you. I was just thinking, have there been experiences where it's empowered you? Like where you've seen something and it's been awful and either you, you know, you catch someone or you see someone get out of a situation and you think, oh my God, that, that was amazing. Like I, I did that. <laughs> that was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause that to me would be, what would keep me pushing on is I did that. Do you have any stories like that? I do. Uh, last year, I, I investigated a, uh, a guy. Um, 
this was a um, a tip that we got from from Facebook.com. Uh, they reported uh, that this uh, Facebook user had had uh, uploaded some um, videos onto their private messaging um, account. And so I, I I get the I get the case, do the whole thing, and Hold on, pause pause for a second. You work with act, like Facebook over in Cupertino. They sent you guys this message. Yeah, the actual company, Facebook. Wow, I didn't yeah, know that. That's, that's awesome. cool. <laughs> so Facebook is monitoring the Messenger yeah. app for, and they're flagging stuff, yeah. and they let you guys know when that comes up. Yeah, and that's how you heard about this. Yeah. So uh, j- just to, really uh, just cool. to answer that, Facebook, Google, uh, Microsoft, Skype, Instagram, all these electronic service providers, they monitor your stuff. They they're watching it. So if anything child sexual exploitation related comes up, um, which they are are able to find through hash values, and I I won't get into the technical about that, Um, they they flag that and then report it to whatever jurisdiction that it comes back to. Wow. Makes makes sense. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, our, our online activity isn't really private, right? You may you may be able to uh, privatize your Facebook pages as, as much as you want, but Facebook is looking at it. So, anyway, <clears throat> back to the story. I, I so we got this tip from Facebook. I do, I do the whole investigation, um, and I find out I find who the guy is, and I um, I write up a court order. We serve a search warrant. I interview the guy. We find child pornography on his computer. Uh, or uh, actually on his laptop, he denies, 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 which is very common for these guys to do to me, is to lie. Um, but, but I mean, the evidence was there. I, we, we have it, book the guy into jail. The whole court process begins after, their, after charges are filed. And, finding more stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, a- after, after all that's done, the court process goes through. Um, and I had, I had caught wind that this guy was being investigated previous or was investigated previously by another police agency up in the Salt Lake area. Um, but I mean that nothing really came out of that case. And so I, I knew about it kind of, uh, and, and, but because not a, a, an in-depth investigation happened, I really didn't, uh, pursue that end. Well, anyway, it came to sentencing for this guy. And the judge um, ended up sentencing uh, this guy to, I, I want to say, 20 to 35 um, up at the point um, and, and did the whole thing. The prosecutor walking, is walking out of the courtroom and she is tapped uh, behind by this woman, um, an older lady. And without even saying, identifying who she was, she just hugs the prosecutor, the assigned prosecutor. And the pro- as you can imagine, the prosecutor is like, what? And the world, who is this lady? <laughs> Why are you hugging me? Yeah. Um, and so she, I mean, they, they break the hug, and she, and uh, the prosecutor asks, "Can I help you?" She's like, "My granddaughter was sexually abused by that man that you just put away." Mm-hmm. The case that I was just talking about, that was investigated by another Salt Lake agency. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Was her? It was her. I don't. I'm not. I, I, and I'm not going to dog on that on that agency. But I, I don't know what happened with that case. But I can't. I can't imagine if I would have caught this guy earlier, that I would have stopped that from happening. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I did catch him later, and and it's, done. And it's, it's done. done. He's done. And so that 
that pushes me all the time. Uh, along, along with with what I've already talked about of, about remembering or the, the finding my purpose about working these kinds of cases, it's when things like that happen, and and it happens quite often when I when I hear the, those kinds of things, and it just helps me. So awesome! Thanks, man. <laughs> you're freaking incredible. Like your story, your vulnerability, your willingness. As we're wrapping up here, one of the things we like to do at the end is just kind of ask, what are our takeaways? What do, what do we feel like if we wanted to summarize everything we talked about today? What are the things we really want to send home that are the most important? Start with uh, B10. <laughs> okay. My thing, I would say I learned today that I loved that you said, I love that I get to go first because I get to steal everybody's stuff, <laughs> is just that you, you see all the crap and so that forces you to look for the good in people. I feel like I struggle sometimes where I I question everybody. I'm always like, mm, I don't trust you. I don't trust you, you know? And not a bad, I'm a little cautious, I like to call it. Not jaded, although I'm not too. But <laughs> <laughs> I like that because I feel like sometimes, you know, you don't know what people are going through. You don't know what's going on. So find what's good in each person because there is good. There, as much as these stories are awful and these, there's so many awful things, we, find, we see it through our foundation all the time. There is good. And people are, there's a lot of people that want to do good every day. And so I love that. I think that's awesome. Thanks for that, Sati. Yeah. I, I'm a, I have become more and more a proponent of therapy it helps me it helps me it, it, it just gives me another form of release um, I don't want that balloon effect to happen to me and if there are um, others in, in my line of duty my, my brothers or sisters in, in the blue line that are listening it's okay to, to seek therapy it's not a bad thing my commander is has a has a has a um, comes from that background. She was a therapist before, um, and you know it's because of her. She pushed for this. She recognized the need, especially for ICAC cases. Um, she recognized the need for for this kinds uh, for this kind of, uh, of 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 release is to to go to to go, actually go to therapy. We see a lot of stuff as as cops. As first responders, and what I mean by that, firefighters, cops, you know, our military, we, we see a lot of crap. And I would say we're probably, we, you, you could probably consider us as professional victims, right? We, we just, we, we, in law enforcement, we do a lot of, we do a great job at training the physical aspect. Shooting, training, mm -hmm. running, mm -hmm. taking reports how to investigate a sex crime. We do a great job in training for those. The mental aspect is not there at all. It's not even discussed. I hope, I hope, I hope that it's something that can be brought up and that's actually put in place for a lot of agencies throughout our country or throughout the world. Um, it'll, it'll prevent a lot of suicides amongst law enforcement because it's pretty high. It'll prevent a lot of divorces amongst law enforcement because that's pretty high too. Mm -hmm. 
it helps. Therapy helps, and I'm and I'm all for it. So. My takeaway: I'm grateful for set day life. <laughs> we need more set days in the world, man. <laughs> yeah, you're not joking, dude. So, I I'm on the back end of this when when the therapy or when the blue line officer, when the red firefighter guy, the hose monkey <laughs> <laughs> falls apart, when the uh, prison guard falls apart, they come to me. And we teach them cool stuff, and they do better. But a lot of times it's too late. Like I, today, I just learned, uh, today one of my clients OD'd. And that, that's my reality, right? Um, I follow Blue Help on Facebook. You guys can follow Blue Help on Facebook. We just learned that the 85th um, suicide of a police officer happened within the last week. You're more likely to take your own life than to have your life taken in the line of duty if you're a police officer. It's a fact. And if we were to do something about that and do something like Set Day's doing, the maintenance... Or even if I'm not a police officer, maintenance is vital. There's so many different ways to maintain my mental health. And it's not a conversation that we as a society like to have because for some reason it feels like weakness to be vulnerable. But I think it's time to flip that over and vulnerability should be seen as strength. And having you here today tell your story shows me how strong you have to be to be vulnerable I just appreciate you being here, man. I thought it was awesome. Thanks, brother. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate you, man. So, a couple quick plugs. Follow Sete on Facebook. You can become <laughs> friends with him if you want. You can check him out anytime, anywhere. You can connect with him. I, I hope he's open to hearing from people on the podcast. If you liked it, please hit him up. He wants to know about it. Of course. Bethany, you got anything you want to say? Plug before we finish. Right in the day, people. It's what we do over here. I got cards, I got different things, but we, anything you can do in a day to make someone else's day better, if you've got, you never know when a police officer is behind you in a drive-thru, you pay for him, <laughs> he deserves it, and I want to tell Sete thank you, because that's, that was pretty amazing, and I agree with Matt, dude, vulnerability, we're going to pull it out of people, because it is huge, that's how we connect, that's how we get to know each other, that's how we bond, that's everything, it's, we, we need to work on that in our society, I think. Connect with me, Matt Quackenbush, comma, MSW on Facebook, Matt underscore Quackenbush on Instagram. Also, Finding Strength has a Facebook page. We're working on getting a Facebook. I got us an email today. We have a calendar. We are getting so official. It's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. Legit. So <laughs> go hit the like button on Finding Strength so you can get our next ep ep episode. Oh, and the next yes. episode... Is going to be Mr. Matt Quackenbush. Uh, what? Yes. I said, if I have to sit and tell my story, homeboy's got to tell his story. And it's a good one. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Be sure to miss the next episode of Finding Strength. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Well, there you have it. Finding Strength, episode number three. That was a lot of fun. And I think a lot came out of that. I'm really excited for the next one where I get to be on. Bethany plugged that a little bit. A little nervous, but also excited. Also, thank you to everybody who writes in questions every week. I know we don't directly answer those questions a lot of the times. 
try to, but we don't always get to it. However, when you write in those questions, it helps us formulate kind of where we want the show to go. So please keep writing those in. Again, if you guys ever want to reach out to us or need anything, please do through Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Hit up brightinaday.com or .org, excuse me, and click the donate button. Any donations that you put on there go directly to families who need them. Also, if you want to reach out to me, hit me up through my Facebook, Instagram, uh, my website, matthewquackenbush.com. If you are trying to find some strength and you want to meet with me personally um, and you live in the Utah area, please reach out. I do private therapy on the regular with many different people. So if that's something you're looking for or you know somebody who needs help, please reach out. I'd be happy to do whatever we, whatever I can. Thanks a lot, guys. I'm looking forward to the next episode of Finding Strength. We'll see you next time.